Oh, thank you. <laughs> Good morning. There we go. Now if I could just adjust the volume, right? Is that... We've gathered as God's people. I'm thankful for each of you here today. I often say, um, I see your face as an answer to my prayer through the course of the week, as I pray that God might bring those that uh, he intends for this morning to be with. It's a joy to see you as an answer of prayer. And God is doing wonderful new things. We've lived through a great week, spring almost here, and I was taken to the passage in Isaiah 43 that's a favorite of mine. We'll use this as um, our call to worship. Let's read responsibly. The Lord through the prophet says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland in order to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise, formed that we might give him praise. Let's do that. Uh, hymn number 19, stand as you're able for the beauty of the earth. Amen. And have a seat if you would. It's always a joy to welcome you. Those who have joined us here on site, we join with one uh, voice, one heart, one mind to give God glory, but also the opportunity online for those who are watching the live stream or recorded. We're thankful that you let us bring to you the good news of the gospel and life together. Be a part in that way. 
couple of things uh, for today. We'll be having communion once again. It was our goal to do communion each time we met for uh, Holy Week, and then this is our third Sunday uh, communion. So we're in that order, and we'll celebrate the sacrament today. That means for those of you online, take a moment and prepare some elements. Be a part with us in that way. After uh, the service, again, we'll gather for coffee and fellowship, a time to get to uh, engage one another a bit, and then I'll be available in room number one in the basement, kind of an open question and answer. It's a time for folks to interact and ask questions. I love to sense what are the things that you're wrestling with, the questions you face, where have I been unclear, where has it been too clear? Any number of things. So it's kind of a lively and open time. Glad for that. Some upcoming events on Monday. A lunch. Uh, we're calling this the Season of Silver Linings, a potluck and uh, presentation uh, that we do through the week. We're glad to invite people to be a part of that. Next Sunday evening, uh, the Holland Symphony Orchestra will have an opportunity to do, we're calling this an ensemble concert. So a couple of different formats of musicians for about an hour of music that evening. A great time for us, again, to welcome the community, but to celebrate the arts, particularly as they express our love for God as we do in worship each day, each Sunday. Um, this summer, we're recruiting some volunteers for Adventure Week, is what Becky is calling this. It'll be evenings, 6.15 to 8.30, uh, beginning Monday, June 26. There's opportunity for group leaders and group assistants. We can help people find a place that fits well with your gifts, but I need to warn you, they've already found somebody who's so, so dashing and so strong and so attractive that, that the Batman is filled, okay? Not giving anything away. <laughs> or am I? Well, at this moment, I want to take a, uh, just a moment. Meredith Steenweik has served for several years as our celebration elder representative on the council. She's about to rotate off, having served her term faithfully. I uh, appreciate your investment, particularly with our children's ministry and jams. But as part of our um, just making sure we're communicating, we'd ask to give some time to her to catch us up on things. Household, life together, communication yes. that way. Exactly. So along those lines, um, like Pastor Bill said, uh, council's working to communicate with the hard white community. So to give everyone an update on finances particularly, we are seeing a continued positive trend in giving with March being uh, year-to-date up 23% compared to last year. So thank you for your prayerful and financial support. Um, however, <laughs> giving still remains below budget. Uh, first quarter giving was at 94% of the budget. There are so many good things happening at Heart Awake. We saw an increase uh, in attendance of 22% compared to first quarter of last year. So that's super exciting. Um, for me personally, with GEMS, just to give a little microcosm of that, we ended last year with 20 kids. And then we started this year with 35 kids, and we ended with 48. 48 girls coming every week, and they were really sad when we ended. They didn't know it was the last day, and there were actually some tears. Um, so it's great that these kids are super excited to be at church every Wednesday night. A lot of them are not from the Heart of White community. We had a lot of fr uh, kids bringing friends. And I know that um, from my conversations with Tim Dekema, cadets saw a similar thing happen there. So 
just something to be super excited about. Um, so, and thank you for all the people that partnered with us. Uh, we definitely reached out to this community uh, for a few items and the response was great. And it was great for the kids to see um, Celebration participating there. As uh, Pastor Bill said, my term ends this year. And uh, Pastor Darwin asked me to kind of let everyone know how things are going in council and, and what it was like to serve and how that was for me. And I kind of chuckled when I read that because Boy, that's a loaded question. Um, I know a lot of people here have served, and council has gone in a lot of different directions. And uh, most of you know my husband served as Hardawike navigated a really difficult time. Um, and so I heard a lot of stories there. Uh, Shirley Waterway then served and did a great job helping the church kind of find their center and find their ground. And uh, it was difficult. and. I wasn't sure what I was walking into. Um, I did not grow up in the CRC. I grew up in the Lutheran Church, and uh, the whole concept of council was kind of foreign to me. But it's been great. I, I don't know entirely how to put it into words. Um, it's a really supportive group right now. It's a really wonderful place to be, and as busy as I am with four kids and young grades, I love going on Monday nights because it's a place where people can be vulnerable and supportive and it's exciting to find out where we're going as a church. And we're usually done by nine for the people that were worried about schedule. They actually do keep it on the agenda now. Um, our, so as I was thinking about it, you know, and I pondered on, on what it's been for the last three years, I enjoyed it. Um, it was exciting. There's a genuine concern for everybody in the room. There's, there's good conversation. It's not adversarial. It's teach me what's happening so that I can learn more. Um, Hardwick structure is really unique. We don't find a lot of churches with that, and that makes it difficult sometimes. Um, you really need the right people in the right spaces to be successful, and I really feel like we're there right now. Um, our pastor team is fantastic. The, the love and support they have for each other and their willingness they have to step in for each other is amazing. And it's, it's inspiring to the rest of the church and to the council. Um, and as a council, we really want to continue to support that relationship because it is so important to Hardawike's success and to Hardawike being a gospel-centered presence here on the, on the lakeshore. Um, I did also learn it's really important to have representation from each community on council. I'm currently the only celebration member on council. There are lots of opportunities opening up, um, including my own. And it's important because there are things happening here that are important for the other communities to know. And there are things happening in the other communities that are important for us to know. And councils are opportunity to really have those conversations to find out what's successful at the other communities what's not, and what's successful here and what's not. Um, I would personally love to see more people from Celebration on Council, so I'm, I'm hopeful that that happens because it really is important. Um, and overall, it's just given me a lot bigger picture of what it's like to serve in the church and to, to serve Christ's body. Um, sometimes I'm wrong. It's really easy to think you know everything when you're sitting in the pew 
and you only hear what the church is presenting because of the communication. But there are so many opportunities to learn and to grow in counsel and to realize that you're just a little piece of it. And it's great to serve your little piece and it's important, but there is so many amazing things to go going on that we can learn from. Um, so, you know, it's trite, it's, it's people say all the time, but I really did get more out of counsel than I put in. Um, I'm sorry to say goodbye, but um, my schedule is crazy and uh, that's <laughs> what it is. Um, so hopefully that helps everyone understand where counsel is right now and uh, everybody's excited about where we're going because it is exciting. Appreciate that, Meredith, and I, I hope you get a sense of the vision that we have. One of my commitments over years of ministry now is that as leaders volunteer and serve, that it can be a value-added experience. I've gone to churches where folks will say, oh yes, I was on, in the Presbyterians, they call it session, here it's council. I was on the leadership board, and they speak of it with the same vocabulary that my friends who were Vietnam veterans spoke of their time in combat. That is a tough situation. We're in a very different situation now, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to um, gather folks and, and pursue the Lord. You know, the, the goal for leadership in church is different than the goal for leadership in a business, a board of directors. Um, the historic Reformed theological perspective has been leaders pursue the mind of Christ to lead in light of that. And so it uh, refers to that. And we're thankful to add value to have you a part of that team and a good thing. Part of our history here at Hardwike, you know, there's a number of people who, and denominations that look to John Calvin kind of as a theological uh, lodestar. Uh, for uh, th- those of us in the Dutch tradition, which I am now, we look to the Heidelberg Catechism as an expression of that. And so each month I take one of those historic questions f- to remind us of God's truth. And this week, it's, or month, it's going to be the Heidelberg Catechism question 115. Here's our question. Since no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that we may never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. I want to take us to a time of prayer, but before I do that, I want to give you some background on one of the things we'll be praying about. Several weeks ago, uh, Dr. Brent Van Til mentioned to me that he was headed to Honduras and do some things in April, and curious, I asked him for the backstory. Um, I was excited to hear that story of one of our celebration folks. Now, I'll just read you one paragraph from an email that he sent me. He said, my good friend from high school in the Chicago suburbs became an orthopedic surgeon. 
Let's just say that we have lived intersecting lives for the past 20 years or so, and we keep in touch by going on these Honduras trips together. We each have an operating room, and we bring volunteer support staff, nurses, PAs, anesthesia, etc. We go for a week and load up the surgeries and see as many as we can during that time. It's a challenge, of course, but certainly it's also a blessing. And this line struck me. It's not something I broadcast a lot, but it's a small way that I can give back and doing it with a high school friend, ha, that's certainly special. Intriguing. So I wasn't going to bring him up here, but Brent, why don't you, let's get your face. Could you just stand there, um, Dr. Van Til? Thank you. We, we send you with that encouragement, and I think I want to follow with two things really here. One, um, let's join him in making this more about God than about him. I appreciated that heart that I heard here. It's encouraging. And it's about gifting and availability. They would close the borders at Honduras if I volunteered to come down and do surgery. <laughs> Just ain't my gift. But I believe on the basis of the scripture that I could look at each one of you and say, part of the gift of grace that God give you, gives you in salvation is a gift to serve others in a way that's appropriate to your experience, your age, your interest, and that he puts those together to form the body of Christ. So he's got particular opportunity and availability. We're going to join in that mission through prayer, and that's what we want to do. Later in May, we'll get a chance to hear from him. I will be exercising my spiritual gifts with family at the beach. And we will, uh, here at Celebration, have the opportunity to hear from several missionaries that have headed out. So with that in mind, let's turn to the Father and pray now, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us, and by your grace, you have given to us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Indeed, uh, the discovery of all that comes to us in Christ is a new every morning sort of step amaze us with that, that you would use us in each season, that you would use us in situations we can't even know we're going to be put in, but use us for your glory and for the benefit of others. I thank you for ministries from Hardawike like Function that happened this past Friday night, an opportunity to connect with middle schoolers. I thank you for Neighbors Plus and how they are, through the week, helping people with deacons' needs, with a variety of needs as they serve there. I thank you for Watershed. We pray for Pastor Aaron as he brings this scripture from Acts alive for them this day. For Pastor JB and the community of Fusion, again, as they love you and seek you and receive the fullness of your grace. And then in just a few hours, right where I stand, Pastor Florencio, will speak of the same Jesus as me. He'll just do it in the Spanish language. Father, we thank you that even when our world feels confusing or overwhelming, perhaps even threatening, that in the midst of this, there is a deeper truth that you are a loving and merciful God and that in the gospel you have reached to us and through us are reaching to every tribe and tongue and nation and that by your grace, you've called us into the fullness of your presence. 
Father, is celebration. We pray your mercy and guidance for us. I'm going to, again, I've been in the habit these past months of just giving a moment of silence for you to lift up those who may be sick or grieving or lonely or hard-pressed, whatever it may be. Maybe there's a joy that you really want to express thanks to, but just each heart before the Lord in this moment express your thanksgiving, your confession, your intercession. Father, thank you that you hear the prayers of your people and in your grace, you meet us right there. Continue to lead us as celebration and as heart awake. Father, you teach us to pray for those in authority over us. We thank you for the rule of law your intention for your created world. And this week in our um, cycle, we pray for the federal level of authority and government. So we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for the Michigan senators, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, and our area reps, Bill Heidzinga, and for our Supreme Court. Father, in tumultuous moments, we'll be honest enough to recognize and see that. We pray that you would hold each ruler you'd hold their heart in your hand and move it in your direction, sometimes by their plan, sometimes by their surprise, but we pray that you would use them to your glory and for the benefit of your people. Thank you that you are the great and sovereign God who divides and delegates authority in different spheres of our world, so we pray for these. Father, we continue to pray too for missionaries, and for the way that goes out in so many different ways. Be with uh, Branton as he heads to Honduras. As we pray for him, I pray for career medical missionaries that we support here in Hardawike, but are serving in a closed country that I can't mention publicly. Guide them and keep them careful, particularly during this month of Ramadan where we pray. Today's day 26 of Ramadan. We pray that as this religious group, our Muslim neighbors, as they seek you in a special way, that they might come to realize the good news of the gospel, that a God who is not simply distant and gives a word to a prophet, but a God who would love us so much, he'd lay aside his glory and enter into our brokenness, be our substitute, and rescue us. Thank you for the great work you're doing among um, Muslim people in our lifetime, more than ever before, seeing them come to faith in Christ. So we pray and give our hearts to welcome and to receive. Father, of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, the one thing we have recorded specifically is when they said, teach us to pray. And so we would pray that same thing. Teach us, even as we use together these words that you gave your people, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. 
at this point, before we send our kids out, I'm going to ask them to come forward. We have a special time for them. Miss Janet is coming. And here's Miss Deb. I love to refer to Deb as Deb the librarian. <laughs> she does a lot of different things, but she also kind of keeps our library up and going. So why don't you all have a seat and you'll get to get a close view on the uh, books and the pictures here. Good morning. This morning I want to read you a book from our library called The Friend Who Forgives. And its subtitle is A True Story About How Peter Failed and Jesus Forgave. A long time ago, there was a man named Peter who was best friends with Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. He was strong and brave, but he often said the wrong thing. Do you ever talk before you think? That's what Peter did again and again and again. Peter loved fish. In fact, one day he and Jesus had fish for breakfast. Fish for breakfast? That's weird. But we'll save that part of the story till the end. On the day when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, can you guess what Peter was doing? That's right, he was fishing. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, Jesus told him. Can you imagine that, Peter fishing for men? Jesus explained that just as Peter liked to search for fish, Jesus had come to search for people who needed forgiveness. Peter loved being friends with Jesus. He saw Jesus do lots of amazing things. One time, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed her. Another time, Peter was about to drown in a storm. Jesus saved him. Slowly, G Peter realized that Jesus was more than a friend. He was God. He, could, he would never let Peter down. But sometimes, Peter let Jesus down. Like one time, Jesus explained to his friends that he had to die on the cross, but that he would come back to life to offer forgiveness. All of you will run away. You're going to say, you're not my friend, Jesus said. Peter spoke right up, and he did that a lot. I would never do that, Peter said. But Jesus told him, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will say three times, you are not my friend. I would never do that. Jesus is my friend, my best friend, Peter thought. When soldiers came to take Jesus to the cross, Peter pulled out his sword to stop them. Put your sword away, Peter, Jesus said. My father says this must happen. Jesus let the soldiers take him to a courtyard to stand trial. Peter followed from far away. Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? A young girl asked as she opened a gate for Peter to enter the courtyard. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know him. It was a cold night, so Peter walked over to a fire where some people were warming themselves. Aren't you one of Jesus' friends? Someone asked Peter. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know Jesus. Then someone else stepped forward and looked closely at Peter. Yes, you are one of Jesus' friends, aren't you? He said. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know Jesus. Right then, at that very moment, a rooster crowed. Jesus turned and looked right at Peter. And then Peter remembered that Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will say three times, you are not my friend. Peter was so sad. He knew he had failed Jesus again and again and again. He didn't just need to find other people who needed forgiving. He needed forgiving too. Peter felt terrible. 
He ran out of the courtyard and he cried and he cried and he cried. Peter had let his best friend down and now it was too late because the soldiers had taken Jesus away to be killed. Peter didn't stay sad because Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later was the first Easter Sunday when Jesus came back to life to offer Peter, people forgiveness. But would he forgive Peter for failing so badly? One day, Jesus went looking for Peter. And where do you think Jesus found him? That's right. Peter and his friends were fishing. Jesus called to them from the beach. Peter jumped out of the boat and into the water. He rushed to the beach to see Jesus. And this is what Jesus and this is where Jesus and Peter had fish for breakfast. Fish for breakfast? That's weird. Peter was so happy to see Jesus alive. But would Jesus forgive him? Peter wasn't sure. Maybe Jesus wouldn't want to talk to him. Maybe Jesus wouldn't want to be friends with him. But yes, Jesus did want to talk to Peter. And yes, Jesus did want to forgive Peter. Wow. And since Peter had said he didn't know Jesus three times, Jesus gave Peter the chance to say three times, I love you, Jesus. That's how Peter became a forgiven fisher of men. Peter spent the rest of his life telling people about his best friend, Jesus. He told them that if they put their trust in Jesus, he would forgive them again and again and again. That's because Jesus was Peter's best friend. He forgave them again and again and again. And if you trust in Jesus, he will forgive you too again and again and again. The end. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> Let's take a minute and pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you that we are free to live because we are forgiven. And even if today or tomorrow or the day after that, we stumble, we do something we wouldn't want to do or that you wouldn't want us to do, that you yet forgive. Thank you that Peter is not an example of a perfect man. He's an example of a forgiven man. Help us to see that's your calling. Thank you for each of these kids and for all of our kids. Help them to hear the gospel of your forgiveness and the good news of Jesus. Be with those who work with them. We give them our blessing and send them off. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. All right, several of you can go with um, Miss Deb, uh, actually Janet, and we'll go from there. Let's see if I can keep up with all that's going on. Well, we continue in a 30-week study uh, as we work through the story. It's that uh, kind of working through the narrative line of the um, whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're entering into a final four-week mini-series that we want to call All Things New. We'll begin today with Acts and we'll race through over the next four weeks to the book of Revelation. And you'll see that because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all people, that he's opened up a new life, life as God intended, greater than we could ever experience on our own. Now, this past week, the text I was looking at in chapter 28, New Beginnings, Acts chapter 1 verses, uh, chapters 1 and 10. Um, I'm going to look at a particular smaller passage within that. I want to call the message today, E Pluribus Unum. That's not tongues. You read about that in the uh, text this morning. That's Latin for out of the many, one. Um, 
And we'll see how today this focus on Pentecost at the very beginning of Acts that then plays out is really the birthday, the origin of what I love to call the world Christian movement. The movement of Christ moves out into the whole world, out of the many, one. So I'm going to continue what we're building as a worship habit. Let's stand out of respect uh, for the Word of God as I read. Will you join me and follow along as I read, beginning in Acts 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Now, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the apostles, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but Instead, wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For remember, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, So Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, I can just picture him slapping his forehead. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A little later, chapter 2, we pick up. When the day of Pentecost, that feast day in the Jewish calendar, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying... There we go. There was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's have a seat and I'll pray. Father, thank you for your word that you have moved on a Greek physician centuries ago, Luke, to gather eyewitness accounts from people he knew and trusted and that he committed them to writing so that we might understand uh, this birth of the world Christian movement of which he was a part and which we now are carrying the baton. Thank you that as you inspired him, you superintended his writing, so you preserved these texts. And now as we translate and read and study, we beseech you, Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds to receive, complete the work you began there with Luke, complete it in our hearts and minds that we might receive the fullness of your grace given to us through Jesus. Hear us, for we pray in his name, amen. And amen. 
Well, all things are new. This is a new experience in the life of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Somewhat uh, surprising, almost frightening. But if we begin to see the greater purpose of God, I hope you'll begin to see by the end of this that God has always been at work taking many and bringing them to one. It's a marvelous story. As we think about Acts, I want to give you kind of an overview of Acts. I'll say some things here that will take you all the way through the book, all the different readings you'll be doing. A couple of things that are important to know, these Acts facts, is that the author is Luke. Um, he identifies himself, and we recognize Luke as a Greek physician and missionary companion of Paul. He even joins with Paul in Acts 16.10. Luke writes, when they arrived, but by the verse 10, uh, 16 verse 10, he writes, we got ready to leave. So Luke was an eyewitness to many of these accounts. He was a part of what was happening as he records it. He was an eyewitness. Now Luke, you'll remember, also wrote the gospel account of Jesus. So Acts is kind of volume two. It's a sequel, if you will. Volume one and two of the founding of the world Christian movement. Now, our best estimated date of the book is 62 AD. That means, oh, it was 30 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that Luke would have put pen to page. About the same distance between us and Bill Clinton as president. And we remember those times. We could check out with eyewitnesses and write. There are early manuscripts of the book of Acts. Uh, a chapter here, a chapter there, uh, a whole collection of the book. Um, one of the oldest fragments of the book of Acts is located in a little town that some of you may have heard of. I, Ann Arbor, does that ring a bell? One of the earliest fragments of the book of Acts, about a chapter, is in the library at the University of Michigan. It's amazing that we have access and opportunity to get that close, closer than any other ancient document. So those are kind of the facts, the skeleton. But there's some other factors to these stories that Luke collected and put together in uh, this history. We can look and see at the time there was the, what they call the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. There was very little violence or war and it was safe to travel. They built roads so Paul could travel from city to city. Luke would join him. We see Jesus' followers in this uh, volume of history breaking out of their separated and segregated Jewish roots. There'll be a council where they say, do Gentiles need to first become Jews before they can come to faith? And they said, no, the purposes of God have always been for the Gentiles. It's faith in Christ. We see the idea of grace begin to really permeate the life of this community. This idea goes and works its way through. But I want to point something out to you, because this is important to understanding Acts in particular. I think it affects all of our Bible reading, and I think it's important in our day and time. All those factors I just mentioned to you are what I would call imminent frame factors. Good roads, those are real, they had an impact, but they're just a matter of geography. You'll see things here and you'll understand them 
in terms of psychology or of social forces as the Jews and the Romans were tense and the Jews and the Samaritans. These are all imminent frame. But there's also something else going on in the book of Acts. There's something transcendent. There's something that cannot be explained simply by psychology or economics or social forces or physics. There's more here than just the imminent frame. Now, that's important. Remember, Luke was a doctor. He was a trained physician. And certainly, he lacked CAT scans and antibiotics, but he had a keen sense of being able to observe. And one of the things that I think the Scripture challenges us to think is that there is more to reality than just meets the eye. Yes, there is the imminent frame. There's what we've been able to understand from science, what we can analyze from social uh, forces, these sorts of things. But sometimes there's also more to reality than just those things. There's something transcendent. When I held my first child in my arms, I was overwhelmed. I've been really concerned. How am I going to be a dad? How am I going to pay for this? And then I held her. And I didn't care about the question because there was something bigger. When I was a teenager, one of the personalities that captured the news was a guy named Charles Manson. Remember him? I want to tell you, there was more than drugs and a bad childhood going on in that guy's life. Yes, you could see the impact of drugs, you could see the the bad family, but there was something else going on. And so, as thankful as I am for all our advancements in the imminent frame, I'm thankful for plumbing and medicine and computers. I want to tell you, I don't think you can explain life or navigate life apart from a sense of transcendence. Now, for us as Christians, I don't mean generic transcendence or spirituality. Benjamin Franklin, the found, one of the people around the founding of the United States, he was an unbeliever, but he had a deep sense of providence. For us, providence, transcendence, has a name. It's Jesus. Jesus can't be explained in terms of the imminent frame of social forces, of this, of that. No, it's God entering human reality. So our sense of transcendence is specific, but in our day and time, the call is to recognize there is more than just the imminent frame. You'll never understand Acts if you don't begin to at least struggle with making room for this. You see it right in the beginning. Acts 1.8 would be kind of the hinge verse, that the thesis for the whole book. And it begins this way. You will receive power. And power functions in the imminent frame. Certainly the early church had power. The church expanded even while brutally persecuted. This church outlasted Rome. Have you heard the joke? Who would have guessed that there would come a time when people would name their sons Paul and their dogs Nero? Who outlasted who? There was a dramatic change in the social status of women, of slaves, of children because of the power of the gospel. 
There was a power to revolutionize the world wherever it was planted and took root. It took time. I have a blog post titled, Good News, the Vikings Became Lutherans. It took centuries for the gospel to change those warlike tribal people into Norwegians and Swedes. But the gospel changes lives. Well, you will receive power. Yes, that's imminent. But it'll happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there's that transcendent dimension. The Holy Spirit is more than psychological peace. It's more than just political power. It's more than an understanding of the physical world we live in. The Holy Spirit, a divine person, God the Spirit, who enters in to our imminent reality. So there's facts, but one of those facts has got to be this, that as we read, there is both a transcendence and an imminence. To only have one or the other is to oversimplify what Luke is trying to communicate. This makes a huge difference. I mean, what changes occur when you begin to see this imminent transcendent perspective? There are changes. Prayer is different. If you only function in the imminent frame, all prayer can be is mindfulness that gives you peace and lowers your blood pressure. Now, that's a good thing. I'm on medication for that. But prayer has a transcendent aspect. And you'll never understand what Luke records about prayer if all you think of is the psychological benefit. There is more going on for him. Luke is a physician. He's familiar with dealing with sickness. And indeed, you'll notice that Luke is able to distinguish between healing people who are sick and casting out demons where there's a spiritual oppression. It's interesting. I had long talks with my brother-in-law as he graduated from medical training. He got great training in surgery, but he kept wondering about this transcendent aspect for his patients. Luke functioned in that. Very interesting. Ponder that. So he's dealing with sickness. You'll read through Acts and you'll see people with diseases, who no longer have diseases. You'll see people who are observed to be dead, who are no longer dead. That doesn't happen or can't be explained in the imminent frame. There's got to be a perspective and a dimension of transcendence. I wanna tell you, I think this is a critical issue for our day and time. Because I think we were created as human beings to live not only in this physical world, but with a transcendent relationship with a transcendent God shown to us in Jesus. And as I look about the alarm of the world, my working hypothesis right now is this, that the despair we see is from trying to live as if the world were only imminent. Am I concerned about the wave of pornography that destroys minds and marriages? Am I concerned that we had more people die of fentanyl overdoses than, or as many as the Russians lost in their war on Ukraine in a year? Pornography, drugs. How about governments that make money by fostering gambling? 
ponder that for a moment. How about the gun violence? Have you heard the stories of those people? Friends, I want to tell you, I think there's a connection with all those things. That's what happens in a world that's trying to live as if there was only imminence. The good news is there is something transcendent. We need to be faithful in the imminent frame, but we have a message like Luke in Acts that there is something greater for your life and for the life of those around us. We're called to make that clear. And this is what's driving Luke in Acts. You see, my guess is that we're comfortable in the imminent frame because we can control it. If there's a transcendent, then maybe God will act. Or sometimes he will not act, and that's as confusing. Well, friends, this perspective, so as you read, where is this transcendent frame? How does it work? And ask yourself, how are you doing in that balance? You know, I was trained in the imminent frame, including in seminary. That's an interesting conversation I'd love to have with you. I was trained in the imminent frame, how to apply techniques to get your church to grow. You know, Hardwick is growing right now. You know what program we're using? It's one called Holy Ghost Desperation. Help me, Jesus. Love these people. Help me make your gospel clear. Help me be faithful to who you are and what you've done. Help them hear the good news of Christ. Friends, this imminent transcendent perspective shapes the whole mission. Look at what is there in the rest of Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And he says, you will be my witnesses to all ethnicities. Now, Jesus describes in this passage how that's going to work. He says, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and indeed to the utter ends of the earth. There he's describing the process. But in Matthew 24, 14, he describes the purpose. Listen to his words. He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness, there's that word, to all nations. There's the purpose. And the Greek word there is ethnos. This gospel needs to be made known to every ethnic group on the planet. Don't give me a trained schedule of what's going to happen in history and then Jesus comes back. Count up the ethnic groups and ask how many have heard the gospel of the kingdom. That's how you know where we are in God's work. So friends, here's the vision of Jesus for the mission of the church right at the beginning of Acts. One church made up of all nations. That's the result of the Holy Spirit-empowered witness. That's why I wanted to settle on this statement from the many one, because God has always had a purpose for all the nations. There's the many. Beginning in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. I want to tell you something. The minute a church becomes for themselves is the minute the Holy Spirit politely departs. Because the Holy Spirit is the empowering of God to go forth to all nations. China, across the street, across the work cubicle, wherever it may be. God's purpose has been to reach those many and to make them by his grace one. That is to say the body of Christ, not them become like me, but me and them be bound together as one in Jesus. That's what God is doing. 
on planet Earth. Paul, Luke's missionary companion, would write it this way. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. There's the one. Whether Jews or Gentiles, there's the many. Slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. To hear there's one. One church. A lot of variety. Many, many, many people. God's purpose has always been for all the nations, and he's intended his church to be the one body of Christ. I wish I could spend the whole time reading this. I made this available in the Celebration Inform. This was an article in the New York Times by an Anglican priest called The Global Transformation of Christianity is Here. Tish Harrison Warren writes, the face of Christianity is undergoing a fundamental transformation, Sam George, the director of the Global Diaspora Institute at Wheaton College told me. What is happening in America is just a part of the larger transformation because Christianity is getting a new face. It's getting more black and brown and yellow. In his book, The Unexpected Christian Century, Scott Sunquist notes that in 1900, go back into the timeline of your mind to 1900, about 80% of the world's Christian population lived in the Western world and about 20% in the other parts of the world. By the end of the century, by 2000, only about 37% lived in the Western world, and nearly two-thirds lived in those other parts, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. Christianity at the beginning of the 20th century, he writes, is the most global and most diverse and most dispersed faith. Would you get that impression, going to church in Holland week by week? I want to tell you, It's a changing world. Maybe not in terms of the institution of the church, the imminent frame, but in what God is doing, it's dramatic. In 2015, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's kind of the head person for the whole Anglican movement. 2015, he said, the average Anglican, that would be like Episcopal in the United States, The average Anglican is an African woman in her 30s living in sub-Saharan Africa on less than $4 a day. That's the average. Now, I don't want to throw stones, and we should all be humble and learn, but in the spirit of the little boy who pointed out that the emperor has no clothes, I grew up in the Episcopal church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. The first 15 years of my spiritual experience were in the Episcopal Church. I can tell you a couple of things. There were a lot of women, so we were close to average there. There's nobody from Africa. And there was nobody but nobody living on $4 a day. My experience there was so different than the average of the world. That's the point to see. Now, Average of the world is different than our experience in the United States. What's the opportunity? Join with what God is doing in the world. I am so thankful that in the course of my ministry, I've had a chance to be in places where I was the minority because I saw there what God was doing in the world.
It was good for Mary Lynn and I to be the only white faces in some churches. It helped us realize what was just our comfort and what was central. What did we hold together? And you begin to focus and learn, this is what matters, that, oh, it's nice. But what matters is Jesus, who's drawing all nations to himself, who's creating one body out of many nations. There's a changing face of the church, its unity and diversity. Now, I don't have time to touch this, but this is the cry of our world. You've heard diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the cry of our world, but it seems to produce only division, anger, and brokenness. What I want you to hear just real quickly is the Holy Spirit has been at work. It's his intention to work in and through his people to, for him to produce what the world can only yearn for. Isn't that amazing? That's why it's called good news. We're not inviting the world to be like us. We're pointing the world to the Jesus who gave us life that together there might be a new face of the church, a face that looks more like Jesus because it looks less like me. The message of the book of Acts is this, that it takes a transcendent work of the Holy Spirit to make people free to step outside their comfort zone, free to forgive those who've hurt them so that they might share life together as something greater than themselves. One body, many parts. Out of that many, by a work of the Holy Spirit, one. What the world yearns for turns out to be the great thing that God has been doing from Genesis to Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, and we ask that you awaken us, not simply to the challenges of the imminent frame institutional church, but to that transcendent, gospel-centered work that you are doing. We want to give our lives to that. And we know it will take us outside these walls. It will take us outside our comfort zones. It will bring us close to the pain that others have felt. It will make us honest about our own pain and honest about the limits of our own abilities. But in all of this, Jesus, we pray, you grow bigger and bigger in our life, in our heart, that the world might see your marvelous love, our hope. For we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people sit together. Again and again, it was at the table that the church of Jesus Christ would encounter Jesus. Now again, if we just live in the imminent frame, this is juice and it's bread. But the witness of the scripture and the witness of centuries is that God the Spirit will meet us here and make God the Son known. I'm inviting you to a moment of transcendence. Let's remain seated and meditative. I want to sing this um, one melody, a new melody for when I survey the wondrous cross. Remember, it's the cross that made all of this possible. And it's the cross that we remember here.
would write to his people in Corinth, the church that God used him to plant. And he would say, I received from the Lord, but I also have passed on to you the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he gave thanks, he said, this cup is now a new covenant made in my blood, the perfect lamb of God, the true and perfect. Drink this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, that's activity in the imminent frame. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's a truth that's transcendent. Therefore, prepare, Paul challenges us to prepare our hearts and to come on the terms of Jesus. Now again, through this season, I've been clear to make the invitation to all who would trust in Jesus. It's not like Jesus puts a fence around the table and says, only the worthy can come. It says, my terms are trust and surrender. That's the doorway to life in Christ. So I, I extend to all who might be here this day, if you want to express your trust and reach out to Jesus, come and receive, regardless of where your church membership might be. They're in homes on the live stream. Families, as you partake together and navigate that, point to Jesus, our hope and our grace. Now I'll ask those who'll be distributing the elements if you'd come forward and get settled while, uh, as you're coming forward, I'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've loved us deeply in your grace in ways we can hardly know or imagine, certainly in ways that don't make sense because in your mercy, you've loved us even before we've earned it. So take this, which is very simple. The world sees bread and juice. But by the presence of your Holy Spirit, help us to know and see that here you meet us. I pray every heart and mind might receive not only the bread and cup, but the word of adoption and love in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your marvelous love. Be with us this day, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Again, our process, just come down the center aisle. Those of you who want to partake, there's a piece of bread. Dip it lightly in the cup. Come and receive. Jesus gave his life to make this possible.
Father. That last supper where Jesus pointed to himself as its fulfillment would have been filled with a wide variety of emotions and experiences, backgrounds. Everyone present would at some point deny Jesus. One would even betray him and never return. And yet in the midst of this, God the Son offered hope and life. And so in the midst of us as a gathering of incomplete and imperfect people, we hear your invitation and we come and receive. Have your way and have your work in us. Complete what you've begun unto the day of Christ. May this be a key and powerful time in that, O oh Father. Help us to see in the head and the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus, the love that motivated and empowered him. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Let's stand and sing together as we close. Friends, because of what Jesus did on the cross, his death and resurrection, and now the empowering of his Holy Spirit, he invites us to enter more deeply and to be a part of his great work, taking the many across all nations, drawing them to one around him. Receive the benediction. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes this. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to that power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen.